Hey everybody, welcome back to MMA, BJJ, and Life. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, coming to you from Laguna Niguel, California, and uh, with an episode that's all my own that's called I Told You So. So uh, I'm sure everybody likes that kind of hubris, right? Yeah, I'm sure y'all do. And that is uh, Led Zeppelin breaking it down for us as usual, our uh, intro music forever, the great foursome from the Midlands of England. John Bonham, John Paul Jones, Robert Plant, and of course, the incomparable Jimmy Page. So, um, but welcome, uh, welcome back. It's a, it's a uh, Thursday, sunny Thursday afternoon here, and I uh, just wanted to break down, do some ranting and raving about the UFC, and do a little bit of I Told You So, um, due to uh, the fact that, you know, basically you guys have a lot of choices out there. Of who you're going to listen to. So why would you want to listen to me? I'm just, you know, some guy who's been on a three-year hiatus from podcasting. So what do you, you know, what do you really want to listen to me for? And I would submit to you the reason that is, is because I am going to tell you and predict what will happen. Relative to fights, will I be right? You know, even 70% of the time? Probably not. But as far as who's going to do what, as far as things that will happen and won't happen, things in the news, things like that, you can count on me that you are going to hear things here that you're not going to hear anywhere else. I am not going to wait for things to happen to tell you, hey, this is going to happen. Yeah, when it's already happened. In other words, I'm not going to say John Jones is going to be champion when he's already signed to fight Shogun. You know, most people that had a clue that were willing to step out on a limb knew that he had the talent to be champion, okay? I was saying it when he beat Stefan Bonner. That's the difference. Before he shredded up and chopped up Brandon Vera and uh, and everybody else that, that he beat and, uh, and elbowed uh, Matt Hamill into submission and ended up getting DQ'd for that. So that's the idea here. So I'm going to uh, talk to you a little bit about Ronda, a little bit about Connor relative to the news yesterday. And then I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put Carissa Qureshi's interview on the end of this. Because the other day when I recorded prior to um, our episode, Brent, uh, Professor Brent and I had with uh, Tony Pesensky uh, about Hicks and Gracie and all those sorts of jujitsu-esque things, I did the... Uh, I pieced together uh, all the parts of the podcast incorrectly and replayed one that you had already heard and then stuck Carissa Qureshi way at the end. So I'm going to put her at the end of this so just for those of you who didn't hear it and want to hear what it sounds like for a 10 or 11 year old uh, young lady when, um, when, when she's won multiple gold medals and especially after beating spending two days at three different tournaments beating all boys uh and winning gold so it was an incredible and mostly finishes it was an incredible uh time for carissa so if you want to hear that and it's like i said you know i'm trying to draw her out and trying to get there uh and it's difficult for her to conceptualize what she actually did it's really interesting though so uh, Carissa, the Predator Qureshi out of Gracie Baja Irvine will be on after the UFC rant and rave. So let me jump right into this. It comes out yesterday uh, that uh, Ronda Rousey, I, I found this on bloodyelbow.com, is that uh, Ronda Rousey is now training with uh, a trainer. And, and sort of people are speculating 
about a possible comeback that she's uh, on a specific diet now and that she's going to be oh here it is it's by Tim Burke so Tim Burke actually uh, had both stories yesterday on Bloody Elbow with McGregor uh, speaking with um, uh, with Connor's coach um, John now I'm trying to remember his name I'm brain flatulating on his name uh, John Kavanaugh of course the brilliant uh, John Kavanaugh um, he uh, did an interview with him and found out that, that, that Connor said that he is going to come so here it is what I'm saying is I told you so I told you so months ago on Ronda weeks after the loss to um, Amanda Nunes that she will not retire like this that she will come back. It might take a year, it might take 24 months, but that Rhonda will in fact come back. And the reason is somebody that has an ego like her is not going to want to leave a memory imbued on the minds of not only MMA fans. I mean, we're not talking about just MMA fans. We're talking about everybody from news people in legitimate news and women and soccer moms that watch her and even the casual folks like folks on the the Tony Kornheiser show who aren't even MMA fans and Anderson Cooper on CNN and anybody you want to name. All of these people watched Ronda get dummied and KO'd by Amanda Nunes in the first round. And nobody, I think that was, what was that, UFC 206, I think. In any case, everybody saw that. And nobody is going to, um, is going to forget that. She, there's no person, an athlete of her caliber that's experienced her level of success. This is going to say, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm not 30 yet, but I'm going to run away and have babies in Utah and never be seen again. And, and, and I'm going to leave everybody with that lasting impression. That's not going to happen. What will happen is probably the most well-crafted, um, the most well-crafted matchmaking that you'll ever see for her comeback. And it may be somebody like a Juliana Pena because it's somebody who's very grappling-centric, who's not a very precise very well-schooled, refined striker, someone who's a bit of a brawler and, and a grappler, and somebody that Ronda should be able to duck under, be able to avoid her punches, and get in there and get a clinch. Because I'm sure if you ask Juliana Pena, she'll say, I'll, I'll beat her on the floor, I'll beat her on the feet, I'll beat her anywhere. So she's not going to, the type of training they get with, uh, what's that guy, uh, Rich Little or Rick Little, whatever his name is, um, the guy who says don't don't defend leg kicks because everybody should be able to take leg kicks. You don't need to check. Um, that kind of a trainer, um, which gives you a little bit of an idea of what they're like up there in, uh, at her gym in Washington, which I said she should have been gone from that gym upon leaving the Tough House. And by the way, I'll stitch. I'm going to stitch back to this later relative to uh, Paige Van Zant leaving there. So anyway, so. Uh, Ronda will be back against somebody like uh, like a Juliana Pena, someone that they feel pretty certain that she can beat so that if she does decide to retire upon that fight, she retires upon a win, not to say that the UFC wants her to retire in the next six years. I mean, they'd like her to, to keep going, but she, for her own self, she has to experience a certain level of a success that would allow her to keep going and for that she has to come back and get a win because I feel like if she came back and got another loss that probably would be it 
but she will 100% come back, and I told you that back in January or whatever. Uh, I did the Facebook post, the Twitter post, and it was before I had uh, restarted my podcast, which is still a work in progress, as you all can see. But if you sit tight, if you bear with me, we will get better. The production quality will get better. The, the, the guests, we're going to have more and more high-level guests. We're going to get Claudia Gadelia eventually. Um, we're going to have some of the Novanyao guys. And, um, and we will bring you more fighters, coaches, journalists, all that stuff. It's just I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, you know, building back to, to where I was. There's no way that I could start a podcast and be without professional help, of course, and be exactly where I was when I left. But, uh, but we'll get there. We're going to have Chris Luttrell on, the coach of Claudia, and the coach of Andres Quintana. So we're going to have, we're going to have some people on. So, so that's it. So now you're hearing it, and it's March 30th, or it was March 29th. Tim Burke brought you that, but I gave you that information uh, months ago that she was going to come back. Now we'll, we'll head over to Conor McGregor. We talked about it uh, last week. I talked about that uh, as well, fueling with the speculation that, uh, as my friend Larry Pepe says, that Floyd, um, it, if Connor fights Floyd, that he will have FU money, okay? I don't care if he has FU money or not. Um, he will come back. He will not allow the narrative of the UFC, which is now Connor McGregor 24-7, and deservedly so. He built that, he, and therefore he deserves that. He will be back and fight again. There's no question about that. So don't uh, let anybody fool you that that he won't come back. It doesn't matter how much money he makes. Um, and then Tim Burke says that John Kavanaugh said, yes, he will not retire from the UFC, win or lose. If he won, he'll come back and his demands will be a little stronger. But if he loses, he's going to come back and he's, his demands will still be high. The only mistake that the UFC made is they left him nothing to want. They left him to be able to decide when and where and if uh, he wanted to give up the 45 belt, if he wanted to fight for the 55 title, and had, as I've illustrated for you before, had he fought Jose Aldo at UFC 205 and rematched him, you could have shut Aldo up forever. He would have either won or lost. And I hate to say it, but it's likely that McGregor would have touched him at least once in that fight, and that could have been it, unless Jose Aldo was just going to come out and leg kick his leg off in the first round and not allow Connor a, le a left-hand counter, uh, etc. Or uh, Jose Aldo was going to go into wrestling mode and take him down. But, you know, it, it's it's unclear what, what was going to happen, but clearly Connor is a lot better than he was wrestling, grappling, all those things. He's brought in Dylan Danis. He brought in Helen Maroulis, the Olympic wrestler, to work with him and other wrestlers. So it's it's unlikely that Jose Aldo will have the success or would have had the same success at UFC 205 or in the future that he would have had when they fought. Um, I can't remember the, uh, what the name of that card was, but the card where, where they did fight and he knocked him out in 13 seconds. So as time goes on, the window gets smaller and smaller and smaller for Jose Aldo. And um, so it's likely McGregor would have won. But let's say that he won, and then you promise him a lightweight title shot. 
at at the winner. But the way that you did this now, you know, the belt hasn't moved. The belt is still sitting there. They tried to create an interim belt. That fight didn't come off due to Khabib's weight cut, and it's still sitting there. But the point is, is I told you that he was coming back, and that's why you need to tune into my show because you're going to get some stuff here that you're not going to get anywhere else. So that's what this is all about. Um, so, uh, so we will see him um, just relative to the fight. I mean, Connor does have the ability to win that fight. People that are completely dismissing him are saying, making like it's a different sport. Yes, it's a different sport, but there's still punching involved. Don't. Let, let me ask you guys something. Have you seen every single UFC fighter training that's hitting gloves and pads and heavy bags and speed bags? The answer is yes. Every single MMA fighter of note, and especially in the UFC, is boxing with boxing gloves, hitting pads, hitting heavy bags, and sparring. So there is an element of boxing to what McGregor and every other UFC to, to varying degrees does. So there's no question that there is a possibility he can touch Floyd. Floyd got hit by Manny in that fight a few times. He just was able to lean back into the ropes and eat it, which is why I said if it were in a cage, there'd be a big advantage to McGregor because Floyd would not be able to back up to the ropes and use the ropes to lean back and, and help him with his defensive head movement. But it's probably not going to happen. It's going to be in a boxing ring. And then you'll see that, you know, is Floyd going to get 16-ounce gloves? You know, it's going to help Floyd. But either way, eventually, McGregor will touch him. And with that touch, eventually, he's not going to go 12 rounds without hitting him. He's going to hit him. And with that, there is the possibility that he could knock him out. And it's a very real possibility. And plus, Connor can go to the body. There's different things that, that he can do. And I don't think he'll, you know, I'm sure... I mean, if I had to bet, of course, like all of you, I would, I would bet on, uh, I would bet on Floyd, uh, but I, Connor could win this, and people dismissing it are just being foolish, or they're just looking at the metrics of it because people don't dig deep into issues. They look at the thing that's on the surface and go, "Wow, this guy's undefeated. He's one of the greatest boxers ever. He's one of the greatest defensive boxers since Willie Pep." Blah, blah, blah. So clearly, he's not going to get hit by McGregor, and he's going to make him look like a fool. Not necessarily. I'm not saying Connor's going to win, uh, but it's it's possible. And for you to ignore that possibility, that's your own folly. Because it's quite possible that he will, at some point, touch Floyd. And if he touches you with that left hand, with people that are below his weight class that go to sleep, we've seen it over and over and over again, that he touches people, with the with those big hand with those hands that he has and they go to sleep and there's no reason that Floyd is not immune to being knocked out so it is possible that McGregor could win so I'm not saying I'm gonna put my money on him I'm not being stupid here trying to draw Twitter posts or draw clickbait I'm just saying there's a possibility that he could win based on a very similar skill set that they have because all MMA fighters are boxing as part of their training and using boxing gloves and it's, it's quite possible so we'll leave it at that uh junior versus stipe rant so i want to illustrate something to you about uh fabricio verdum versus um versus uh alistair Overeem and junior dos santos versus stipe miocic 
which is uh, one of them, the uh, Verdum versus um, uh, versus uh, Alistair Overeem is being rumored for UFC 211, which I believe is in Dallas. And the other fight is, uh, uh, let me, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to bring this up for you guys so I could just, I want to illustrate the record. Um, there it go. There's my Cavallo. Okay, I want to illustrate the record to you of, of Verdun, etc. So we're going to, we'll talk about this a little bit. But what I want to say to you, and this is a problem, I think, with the UFC and the way it is now. We have multiple, multiple examples of the UFC having it in for Brazilian fighters. Certainly not Junior Dos Santos. I think things have gone very well and very fairly for him. And obviously, he either hasn't pissed anybody's off or they haven't noticed that he's not Brazilian. But when you take into account people like Demi and Maya, who have won that many fights in a row and still was promised a title shot, then had it taken away from him, then told that if he didn't fight Jorge Masvidal, he wasn't going to get a title shot, so he took the title shot, it's unbelievable. And you look at Jose Aldo, you know, how many wins, you know, one loss in like 10 years. And he asked to get a rematch against Conor McGregor at 205, and he's denied. And then Conor gets what he wants and, and is able to hold two belts, basically with the UFC backing themselves into the corner. So if this were a boxing ring and you're going against, you know, George Foreman in his heyday, Sans Muhammad Ali, of course, you're backing yourself into the corner so he can just attack you with body shots and drop you the way he did to Joe Frazier. So that's kind of a metaphor, kind of a, analogous to what the, what the UFC did here. But the thing is, is uh, it's multiple Brazilians. So let's take a look at Fabricio Verdum now. The man is 21-6. and six. He is arguably the greatest combat sports athlete ever heavyweight combat sports athlete ever he is the only one to win IBJJF to win Abu Dhabi to win a UFC title to beat um, to beat uh, Fedor Emelianenko when he was still at least supposedly in his prime to beat Cain Velasquez in his prime to submit not a flash knockout because you want to talk to me about a flash knockout you're not telling me anything because if you want to tell me Junior Dos Santos beat Cain Velasquez I'm going to tell you really okay yeah he knocked him out George St. Pierre's been knocked out everybody's been knocked out Anderson Silva's been knocked out everybody's been uh, Chris Weidman's been knocked out anybody can get knocked out with four ounce gloves and knees and head kicks and these things the better fighter clearly was Cain Velasquez because he absolutely destroyed Junior Dos Santos uh, and actually knocked him out with a slam, I think, in their second fight. So he is the better fighter. Now, Fabrizio Verdum, let's look at the losses he's had. He lost to Sergei Kurotanov in Pride 30, which is going on 12 years ago. It was 2005. Um, and it was a split decision. And this is when he had no striking. Then he was decisioned by who was then uh, the greatest heavyweight, um, the second greatest heavyweight in the world, Antonio Rodrigo Noguera. Then he lost to Andre uh, by decision. And that was when Andre was at his peak. 
and Fabrizio was was really still new in the game. Then in his second run, uh, then in the UFC, he ends up um, losing to Junior Dos Santos by TKO in the first round. That's something that Junior Dos Santos is doing to everybody, even Kane, until he started his precipitous decline, I guess you could say. Now people will say he won't because he outboxed Ben Rothwell. Okay, then he has a decision loss in strike force to Overeem. You're talking about a K1 tournament champion here, okay? Then he goes down to, um, he goes to, uh, sh- um, I was about to say shootbox, to King's MMA under Mestre Rafael Cordero and just unleashed a game that was just unbelievable and started just tearing people up with great Muay Thai, improved wrestling, going over to Church Boys Wrestling and stuff, and then coming in and he ends up, after beating Cain Velasquez by guillotine choke three rounds into the fight, um, he ends up uh, then coming and kind of making a fool out of himself that night uh, uh, going against Stipe. And I think people illustrate that just because his body didn't quite look great, but I'm not here to one to judge somebody's fitness based on that, and that he was clowning a lot doing that uh, that, that uh, Vicavalo, that horse face, as he was uh, approaching the cage. And then he goes chasing after uh, Stipe and uh, gets caught with like a counter hook, I believe, a counter left hook or something, and he gets dropped. Then he goes out and has kind of an unimpressive uh, victory against Travis Brown. But let me tell you, here's what I object to relative to the UFC. The guy made some comments about Reebok, Fabricio Verdum, and he made them on social media and in an interview, and they were stupid comments that he shouldn't have made, and I'm sure he would say now he wishes he didn't make them. I don't know that. I don't know him. But I assume he would think those are stupid things to say. Because you're working for the UFC and, and Reebok is the sponsor, as much of a joke as that is. That's the that is the, the fact of the matter. So what does the UFC do? What I would have done is you tell Fabricio, you call him, you say, I'm sending you a plane ticket. Get your ass on a plane from Los Angeles over here to Vegas, and I want to see you in these UFC offices. And if you're Dana White, you see him in there, you have him into the office, and you say, Fabricio, this is a sponsor of ours. They give us a lot of money. You signed a contract that you are going to fight under these conditions with this sponsorship, and it's obviously the best deal that you could get. And if you don't like it, you know, we can cut you. But we don't want to see any talk about Nike versus Reebok or any of that crap again, or you will lose. Instead, now here's what the UFC did do. They fire him from his from his uh, contract uh, for uh, the UFC on Fox uh, Latino broadcast. Basically, the UFC Latino uh, broadcast partner, where he would sit in a studio, he would watch the fights, and he would speak in Spanish. He had a, a play-by-play commentator. And because that this man is not only so talented in jiu-jitsu and in kickboxing and grappling, but he also is fluent in three languages, one of them being Spanish because his mother's from Spain. So instead of the UFC just talking to this guy and giving him a tongue lashing like they did to Brock Lesnar when he talked about Coors, Coors Light, instead you fire the guy? Like, what kind of crap is that? You fire the guy, and then the guy's the num- clearly the number one contender and deserves the title shot, 
and you don't give it to him. You go three or four spaces back and you give it to Junior Dos Santos, who we'll get to in a second. How is that a way to handle your business? How is that a way to handle your business when you have a, a champion of that caliber who made had a bad fight night, said something stupid, and so you fire him and then you knock him off of that card? He was supposed to rematch with Velasquez uh, to determine who was going to fight Stipe, and then Velasquez ends up having backs, tells people he's having surgery as they're headed to the fight. You know, basically, the the week of the fight, and they're like, "We're not licensing this guy to fight," and and you know, it was something that he looked forward to because he wanted to prove that altitude, notwithstanding, he was a better fighter than Kane. He proved it in Mexico City, and he wanted to prove that at sea level, without altitude being a factor, he would beat him again. Whether he would beat him again, I don't know. I think he had as good a chance as any. And I don't think that the altitude was was as much of a factor. Uh, Fabricio hung with him, strike for strike. He was tough enough. He was saying, bring it on. And it looked like it was competitive right from the outset. And Kane was not going to blow through him the way he had blown through other opponents. That's clear. Because he had the, the, the jiu-jitsu game and the wrestling game. And he had the right recipe to be the champion. No weaknesses in his game. And when we get to Junior, we can't say that, can we? He said, I'm a boxer. This is what I do. I box. And this guy in um, Ben Rothwell wanted to box with me. Well, look what happened. He boxed with me, and I took him out. Junior is not going to engage you, shoot takedowns, and go on the floor with you and wrestle and want to play jiu-jitsu and have a variety of different submissions. That's not what he does. He doesn't even kick much. He's a boxer. Does he have some kick knockouts? Yes, he does. I'm not saying he can't kick. I'm saying look at him against Overeem. Look at the majority. Look at him against Kane. He didn't want to get taken down. He didn't kick. But Fabrizio is a whole different animal since he's begun at King's MMA. His Muay Thai, his leg kicks are vicious. He's sparring the way that they spar at King's. And if you listen to Patrick Wyman, he'll tell you it is balls out, hard sparring. There's no easy roles, so to speak, in the ring over there when you're sparring and uh, at, at King's MMA. And he's turned him into a killer, much like he did to Rafael Dos Anjos and, of course, to Baniel Darius. Does that mean these guys can't be beat? No. But of them, I'll tell you what, uh, Fabricio has the most impregnable jiu-jitsu game of all of those guys, by far. Um Actually, uh, Baniel was out grappled by Michael Chiesa, was able to get his back and take him out. Uh, and as great a grappler as Baniel is. And, and Rafael hasn't been dominated on the ground except for uh, by Khabib. But with um, somebody uh, like, like, uh, like Verdum, nobody was going to, uh, to uh, take him out on the floor. Nobody has taken him out on the floor, except for perhaps John Jones in a hotel room. But that's the ham-fistedness I see in the UFC management when we talk about a guy said something we didn't like, all of a sudden he's fired now, and now he gets pushed to uh, not to the back of the line, but to the middle of the line to face Alistair Overeem again in a fight we really don't want to see. We've already seen it twice. 
and we really don't want to see it again. I really think he deserves a title shot. He is the most well-rounded, most skilled guy at that spot. He proved it by beating Cain Velasquez. And if you want to ignore that and say because it was Mexico City, go ahead. You do that. He beat him. They both knew where the fight was going to be. They both know what the altitude was going to be at. Supposedly, he had the most insane cardio of any heavyweight. Well, he didn't prove it that night. Does that mean that he can't, do I think it's he can't beat Fabrizio? Sure, he could, but he didn't. And at sea level, I don't have a reason to believe it would have gone differently. So I feel like WME, IMG, the new management company and their influence on the UFC and the way they do business has manifested itself in multiple things, in screwing over multiple deserving uh, title contenders, over giving Connor everything when, granted, I mean, I'm going to give the guy a lot, but you can't give him everything. We've proven that because look where you're at now. Now you're sitting there waiting for daddy to come home and you're hoping daddy comes home so you can resume uh, your belt. You can resume your lightweight belt again. And then he's going to say, if he wins, he's going to say, I want to fight Tyron Woodley. You don't know what this guy's going to do. So, there's a lot to think about here and a lot to deal with. But basically, you know, you're going to screw over middleweight now by bringing in GSP. And now what if Connor goes, well, I want GSP, you know, I want to fight GSP after. GSP says, I want to fight McGregor after I fight Bisping. It's going to be an absolute mess. So they really need to start by getting on the horn with Khabib, getting him back into a camp and book he and Tony again so at least we can solidify who is the de facto lightweight champion of the world. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to let that one go and I'm going to go on. There's there's been some really really funny banter yesterday with uh Michael Bisping and uh Tyron Woodley um this is actually an appropriate time for T. Wood to call out Bisping because, uh, you know, Bisping already has a fight. But in all honesty, um, if they were to give T. Wood that fight, it would kind of ruin everything. Because if you did that, then you would once again, you'd have a winner of Jorge Masvidal versus Damian Maya, and they wouldn't have somebody to fight. Because you would have in July, you would have T. Wood facing Bisping in, um, in that uh, international fight week in Vegas. So it's really not something that you can't, could or should do, uh, to be honest with you. At this point, I think the best way for the UFC to really go about this is to tell title holders, you can go and challenge anybody in any weight class. But if you do that, you give up the belt. Because the multiple belt thing that was started, um, I don't know if it was started by Connor. I mean, we've talked about it with, you know, for years we talked about Mighty Mouse versus Dominic Cruz, which now isn't going to happen, although Mighty Mouse has said he would want to fight like Dillashaw and all that. There's been talk in the lighter weight divisions about this. But if I think the thing is now what you have to do to guard against this is you make a UFC rule that yes, you can go challenge 
a title holder in a higher weight division for his or her belt, but you have to give up your belt. Because if you don't do that, you're going to have, I mean, you're going to have call-outs. Now, the UFC doesn't have to book the fight. They don't have to send you a bout agreement despite who or what you call out. But I, I really feel that, that, that that's what they they should do. They have to make some sort of a rule because otherwise it's just going to encourage people to continue doing this. So, But it, it, it would be fun. I mean, granted, I think Bisping is just so much fun. It's terrible that he's probably going to retire because he's really hitting his stride and he's so much fun to listen to. And although I'm more interested in not so much the talk and the, the talk game that people have but I must admit, as the fighting game, like the, the Tony Ferguson and the Khabibs and the TJs and the Cody's and the, to me, these people are way more interesting to me than people who have a good talking game. I don't care about that. Now, Kevin Lee, who they've been talking about uh, versus Chiesa, I really like that fight. I'm fascinated with the skill set of both guys. I just think Chiesa is another guy that, if he doesn't go and train elsewhere and start working on some other things, um, I don't think he's going to get there. He really needs to evolve himself the way that Matt Brown did several years ago when we all thought he was done, and boy, did he go on a crazy, awesome run. Uh, Paige Van Zant. I wanted to finish up with Paige Van Zant. Paige Van Zant is, uh, uh, is hinting, you know, she's moving back to, is it Oregon? I think she's moving back to Oregon. Uh, where she's from, and uh, there are indications, you know, Uriah Faber is saying that I don't know if she's going to be part of Team Alpha Male anywhere. Having said that, he said, quote, I will help her in any way that I can get set up with training, etc. I think that's great. I think that's great for Paige. It's something that we realized quite a long time ago, that you can look at some of these fighters and see that they're just not getting better. Page has not gotten better for whatever reason, and this is not a dig on Justin Buckholds or the Team Alpha Male system. They've produced enough contenders that they don't need an endorsement from me or anyone else. Uh, just based on their record, you can see that they're great. But for whatever reason it is, for whatever mixture is there, that Page has not gotten better at, you would think with a room full of wrestlers, her wrestling would get better. And that her striking would be better. And it's not. It's terrible. She showed that against... Um, I'm trying to think of who, who she fought. Well, Rose is the one she lost to. And then the Karate Hottie. So she went for that. You know, no wrestling. Goes for that headlock throw that every girl... Uh, every fight in a girl's bathroom in high school goes for that headlock throw. And then, of course, um, you know, Michelle Watterson knew that was coming and took her back from there. And it's just, she's just not improved under that system. And for her to get anywhere near what her potential is, because she knows, and everybody, multiple fighters and the promoter and Dana White and everyone has told her, you are tough as nails. And she is. She has no quit in her. And everyone has told her that um, you are very tough. Well, then, if she's that tough, and she is, then what she needs to do is work on her skill sets. I don't know where that is. That's up to her. Whether she's going up there to Colorado with TJ, whether now she has the money to build her own camp around her. Maybe that's what she's going to do. Uh, but she needs to go somewhere where she's going to get a better level. She's been coming to Huntington Beach, working with Cyborg Santos. Uh, 
I don't think that's necessarily the answer. Uh, I think Cyborg is a one-off. She is doing well, very well. She doesn't kick very much anymore. She's very boxing-centric. Um, um, but Jason Perillo obviously is a really good striking coach. But to me personally, I don't think that's the answer for Paige is coming to Huntington Beach. Unless she was going to be at something like King's where there's going to be a very, very structured system around her. Um, but but even then, um, I've got some other ideas about her. So, um, but we'll we'll save that for later. But I I am happy for Paige Van Zant because she does have talent, but she needs a lot of training, and that and very focused training and very work very much time working on her skills of her her wrestling and things like this where she's able to employ an actual single or double leg in a fight and have a confidence to finish it. And if she's not doing that, then she's probably not doing it in sparring or she's doing it with guys that are taking so much heat off that she can't experience what it's like getting in there with a girl. Girls are very aggressive. Um, there is no quit in any of them. And so if she's getting in there and she's able to finish you know, shooting a single and able to finish it on the guys, but she's not doing it on the girls, and that tells me that they're not putting her through it enough because they don't want to hurt her. And you know, understandably so, she's 115 pounds, but she obviously needs to get somewhere where she's getting great wrestling training, where she's getting some Muay Thai, and she's actually got some fundamental wrestling techniques instead of going for the girls' bathroom headlock throw that she always goes for. Because when you do that, you end up getting your back taken. You got to be very, very careful with that. Uh, and just like you saw Randa Marcos, you know, she had a Gescatame position on the floor. And you saw Courtney Casey execute a perfect Gracie back take from there, pulling her head out, hooking the leg, and then taking her back right from the headlock. So you can't allow the person's hip. You got to do it the way that Rousey does it and the way she turns into you. Judokas are great at Gescatami. It's one of their money positions, and she'll finish you from there. Uh, but Rhonda Marcos didn't. Now, obviously, she's worked on her game a lot at TriStar, and she's got got great coaching now with Faraz Sahabi. That's, that's, that's where she needs to be. And, and Paige needs to get with somebody like that of that ilk, or if she wants to pay everybody to come in and train with her, that's you know, that's her prerogative. But to me, she still has to develop. And it's difficult to develop unless you're in a camp. Now, when you get to a level like a Tony Ferguson is now, he's bringing in certain sparring partners. He's bringing in, um, he's very developed in his striking and his wrestling and his jujitsu. You know, it's a little different. But I think Paige still could benefit from a team atmosphere. That's just me talking, talking, uh, shoot from the hip, I guess you could say. All right. That's the end of this rant. I told you so. Uh, on Facebook, I am David J. San Marco or DJ San Marco. On Twitter, I am at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life. can hit me up there or DJ San Marco 1 at Gmail. So we will be around. We'll be back. And after this, we're going to bring you, I'm going to stitch to this episode once again. For those that didn't hear it, Carissa Qureshi. Carissa Qureshi will join us, uh, uh, 11-year-old Graham Black Belt, and we're just going to spend about three minutes, four minutes with her talking about her three-tournament victory over all boys uh, over the span of two days. She fought three tournaments, and uh, 
excuse me, three days, three tournaments, and um, she won them all. One gold. It was phenomenal. And we'll try to get inside with her a little bit. So I am expecting this weekend to have on a life episode. I'm expecting to have on, uh, hopefully, therapist Carissa Rossi from here in uh, the Laguna Niguel area, teen and couples therapist, along with uh, UK teen, English, British teen, Jessica Evans. And we're going to talk a little bit about the difficulty of somebody who does not know how to trust someone that sort of pushes people away that want to have a relationship with her. Um, I don't want to, you know, sort of detail everything that I've learned thus far about Jesse Jesse Evans' uh, personal life. She'll detail that while we're on there. We'll let the therapist hear it. But she is this ultra-beautiful, ultra-artistic 17-year-old college student in England who basically... Um, through some, I don't know if it's due to issues with her family, we're going to find out, uh, has basically pushed guys away from her when they get close to her. She'll end up liking a guy, and when they get close, she pushes them away. So we're going to dive into that and hopefully do 20 or 30 minutes with her. So that will be the life aspect of MMA BJJ in life, and I hope you all enjoy it. All right, so I will see you all down the road. Hopefully, it will be... Uh, hopefully it'll be this weekend on uh, MMA BJJ in life. back to MMA BJJ in life. Today, BJJ is the operative word. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, here, along with the predator, Chris, <laughs> Carissa Qureshi, um, who is uh, a, uh, a uh, what belt are you? You're a gray and black belt yeah. at a Gracie Baja, and we started calling you the predator when it was a few weeks ago that you ran through uh, the boys' division at CompNet, and um, and I, I want to know, like, specifically what I want to know, Carissa, is when you went into that boys' division and you went through it and all of a sudden you're standing at number one on the podium, did you feel different? Um, I feel like I, um, I was, like, pretty good mm -hmm. and that I was playing smart when I fought the boys. Mm -hmm. And I didn't actually think I would get first, mm -hmm. but I did, so... So you you were you surprised yourself, yeah. And that kind of flowed into the next day because then I went down to San Diego to uh, watch you uh, again, 
uh, with your brothers, and I think it was Jiu-Jitsu World League, right? Uh, NABJJF. Sorry, I keep getting confused. NABJJF. Okay, so you were there, and your dad signed you up again, and people are kind of like, hmm. And he signed you up for the boys' bracket in no-gi and gi. So as you're going through, you go into the no-gi. I remember yelling out something like, be aggressive, and you sort of like had a change in your face. And then what happened like after that? Like, what did you feel like when you, you went through that no-gi bracket? Did you have a... Um, well, I felt pretty good. Like, I kept thinking I can beat these boys because, well, they didn't look that tough. <laughs> <laughs> so... Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, I can beat these boys, and I did. I just used my moves that I had learned, mm -hmm. and they all flowed together well. Mm -hmm. And then you went into you went into the gi aspect of it. Then you had to go into the gi. Was it the same guys, or were there any different guys? Yes, there's one um, one different guy. Okay. But I did fight a boy from the no gi bracket. Okay, and how? So how did that how did that feel when you when you went through? Uh, when you went through that, how did you feel? Um, I felt uh, like I had gone very smooth and that what my professor had taught me was very helpful because mm -hmm. when I used it on different people as such these boys, then they, they all go together like a puzzle and they all work out. The, the thing is, though, what, I, what I'm trying to zero in on or what I saw is I saw, like, an attitude change that you had. And I'm curious about that. Like, all of a sudden, it looked like on your face that you looked a little more mean, a little more on the mat, on the mat. Because off the mat, you're definitely the sun princess. But on the mat, it looked like you turned into the predator. Did you feel different? Like, all of a sudden, did you have a more confidence? Or is it like any tournament where you had gone and won? Um... Well, every competition, um, when I'm off the mat, I like to like fool around and play. But once I get on the mat, I have to focus and I have to feel confident about myself. So, well, like when I fight, I'm focused mm -hmm. and I can like know what I'm doing. Do you, do you feel more confident now that you ran through the boys, or do you feel the same as um, always? Yes, because I feel like boys were. Um, a little bit more aggressive, so now when I go with the girls, they are a little bit easier. Wow. That's, I mean, that's kind of what I sensed, is that you had sort of turned the corner in this area where you were more aggressive than what I had seen you before. So, um, I'm really, uh, it was it was very impressive. Um, what else, so, like, Nat, you used to do dance and stuff, you're not doing dance anymore. Oh, no. And, and are you, are you, like, in love with jiu-jitsu? No? Kind of, it's like my main sport because mm -hmm. I I like swimming mm -hmm. and I like doing gymnastics. But jujitsu, like when it comes to jujitsu, mm -hmm. I would skip all those other activities to train. To train, that's awesome. And do you do you have like a future goal in mind? Do you have any specific goals relative to jujitsu? Um, well, I want to fight like Mackenzie Dern because when she fights, she feels. Um, focused mm -hmm. and knows what she's doing, and her jujitsu is um, very good. Top notch. Yeah, so um, I want to be like her. Okay. Well. 
like when you, change jiu -jitsu. That's what you think. Okay. I thought you were saying you want to fight her, but by the time you get old enough, she's probably going to retire. <laughs> she's fighting MMA now. I don't know if she fought this weekend in MMA. So yeah. she's starting a career in that, but I imagine she's going to do both. All right. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? So you also you play piano and stuff too. So music, is that an important sort of part of your life as well? Or? Um, well, yeah. My parents want me to do piano lessons and learn piano so that I can become focused and that can lead into jiu-jitsu too because when I'm focused, I can do well. Yeah, music is a great thing. It's a gift you know, that you have because I've, I've actually heard you play piano and you're very good. So, all right, um, so this is, uh, we really appreciate your time. It's uh, DJ San Marco. If you want to check out Carissa on Instagram, give them your Instagram. Um, at Carissa Qureshi. Q-U-R-E-S-H-I. Yes. All right, at Carissa Qureshi on Instagram. Check her out. Gracie Baja's uh, gray, gray and black belt with fourth degree, and um, she's a name that you're going to hear coming up. So we appreciate your time, Carissa. And uh, thank you very much for being on the show, all right? Thank you. Peace.